Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I want to thank you for listening. We have over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. You can now go to Google Play Store and Apple Store and download the Church One app for sermon audio and enter Hackberry House. My books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. I'm reading today from the story of John G. Patton, the Scottish missionary. We're in Chapter 8, talking about Glasgow experiences. On one occasion, it becoming known that we had arranged for a special Saturday afternoon temperance demonstration, A deputation of publicans complained beforehand to the captain of the police that our meetings were interfering with their legitimate trade. The captain, a pious Wesleyan, who was in full sympathy with us and our work, informed me of the complaints made and intimated that his men would be present, but I was just to conduct the meeting as usual, and he would guarantee that strict justice would be done. The publicans, having announced amongst their sympathizers that the police were to break up and prevent our meeting and take the conductors in charge, a very large crowd assembled, both friendly and unfriendly, for the publicans and their hangers-on were there to see the fun, as it were, and to help in baiting the missionary. Punctually, I ascended the stone stair, accompanied by another missionary who was also to deliver an address and announced our opening hymn. As we sang, a company of police appeared and were quietly located here and there among the crowd, the sergeant himself taking his post close by the platform, whence the whole assembly could be scanned. Our enemies were jubilant, and signals were passed betwixt them and their friends as if the time had come to provoke a row. Before the, the hymn was finished, Captain Baker himself, to the infinite surprise of friend and foe alike, joined us on the platform, devoutly listened to all that was said, and waited till the close. The publicans could not for very shame leave while he was there at their suggestion and request, though they had wit enough to perceive that his presence had frustrated all their sinister plans. They had to hear our address and prayers and hymns. They had to listen to the intimation of our future meetings. And when all had quietly dispersed, the captain warmly congratulated us on our large and well-conducted congregation and hoped that great good would result from our efforts. This opposition also the Lord overruled to increase our influence and to give point and publicity to our assaults upon the kingdom of Satan. Though intemperance was the main cause of poverty, suffering, misery, and vice in that district of Glasgow, I had also considerable opposition from Romanists and infidels, many of whom met in clubs where they drank together and gloried in their wickedness and in leading other young men astray. An infidel, whose wife was a Roman Catholic, became unwell and gradually sank under great suffering and agony. His blasphemies against God were known and shuddered at by all the neighbors. His wife pled with me to visit him. She refused, at my suggestion, to call her own priest, 
so I accompanied her at last. The man refused to hear one word about spiritual things and foamed with rage. He even spat at me. I mentioned the name of Jesus. The natural receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. There is a wisdom which is at best earthly and at worst sensual and devilish. I visited the poor man daily, but his enmity to God and his sufferings together seemed to drive him mad. And towards the end I pleaded with him even then to look to the Lord Jesus and asked if I might pray with him. With all his remaining strength he shouted at me, Pray for me to the devil, reminding him how he had always denied that there was any devil. I suggested that he must surely believe in one now, else he would scarcely make such a request, even in mockery. In great rage he cried, Tess, I believe there is a devil. Yes, I do, and a God, and a just God too. But I have hated him in life, and I hate him in death. And with these awful words, he wriggled into eternity. But his shocking death produced a very serious impression for good, especially amongst young men in the district where his character was known. How different was the case of that doctor who also had been an unbeliever as well as a drunkard, highly educated, skillful, and gifted above most in his profession. He was taken into consultation for specially dangerous cases whenever they could find him tolerably sober. After one of his excessive bouts, he had a dreadful attack of delirium tremens. At one time, wife and watchers had a fierce struggle to dash from his lips a draft of prussic acid. At another, they detected the silver-hafted lancet concealed in the band of his shirt as he lay down to bleed himself to death. His aunt came and pleaded with me to visit him. My heart bled for his poor young wife, and two beautiful little children. Visiting him twice daily, and sometimes even more frequently, I found the way somehow into his heart, and he would do almost anything for me, and longed for my visits. When again the fit of self-destruction seized him, they sent for me. He held out his hand eagerly, and grasping mine, said, Put all these people out of the room. Remain you with me. I will be quiet. I will do everything you ask. I got them all to leave, but I whispered to no one in passing to keep near the door. Alone I sat beside him, my hand in his, and kept up a quiet conversation for several hours. After we had talked of everything that I could think of, and it was now far into the morning, I said, If you had a Bible here, we might read a chapter, a verse about. He said dreamily, there was once a Bible above yon press. If you can get to it, you might find it there yet. Well, getting it and dusting it and laying it on a small table, which I drew near to the sofa on which we sat, we read there and then a chapter together. After this, I said, Now shall we pray? He replied heartily, Yes. I, having removed the little table, we kneeled down together at the sofa. And after a solemn pause, I whispered, You pray first. He replied, I curse. I cannot pray. Would you have me curse God to his face? I answered, 
You promised to do all that I asked. You must pray, or try to pray, and let me hear that you cannot. He said, I cannot curse God on my knees. Let me stand and I will curse him. I cannot pray. I gently held him on his knees, saying, Just try to pray, and let me hear you cannot. Instantly he cried out, O Lord, thou knowest I cannot pray, and was going to say something dreadful as he strove to rise up, but I took up gently the words he had uttered, as if they had been my own, and continued the prayer, pleading for him and his dear ones as we knelt there together, till he showed that he was completely subdued and lying low at the feet of God. On rising from our knees, he was manifestly greatly impressed. And I said, Now, as I must be at college by daybreak and must return to my lodging for my books and an hour's rest, will you do one thing more for me before I go? Yes, was his reply. Then, said I, it is long since you had a refreshing sleep. Now will you lie down? and I will sit by you until you fall asleep. He lay down and was soon fast asleep. After commending him to the care and blessing of the Lord, I quietly slipped out, and his wife returned to watch by his side. When I came back later in the day after my classes were over, he, uh, on hearing my foot and voice, came to meet me, and clasping me in his arms, cried, Thank God! I can pray now! I rose this morning refreshed from sleep and prayed with my wife and children for the first time in my life. And now I shall do so every day and serve God while I live, who hath dealt in me so great mercy. After delightful conversation, he promised to go with me to Dr. Symington's church on Sabbath day. There he took sittings beside me. At next half-yearly communion, he and his wife were received into membership, and their children were baptized. And from that day till his death, he led a devoted and most useful Christian life. He now sleeps in Jesus, and I do believe I shall meet him in glory as a trophy of redeeming grace and love. In my mission district, I was the witness of many joyful departures to be with Jesus. I do not like to name them deaths at all. They left us rejoicing in the bright assurance that nothing present or to come could ever separate them or us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many examples might be given, but I can find room for only one. John Sim, a dear little boy, was carried away by consumption. His child heart seemed to be filled with joy about seeing Jesus. His his simple prattle, mingled with deep questionings, arrested not only his young companions, but pierced the hearts of some careless sinners who heard him and greatly refreshed the faith of God's dear people. It was the very pathos of, of song incarnated to hear the weak quaver of his dying voice sing out, I lay my sins on Jesus the spotless Lamb of God. Shortly before his decease, he said to his parents, I am going soon to be with Jesus, but I sometimes fear that I I may not see you there. Why so, my child, said his weeping mother? Because, he answered, if you were set upon going to heaven and seeing Jesus there, you would pray about it and sing about it. 
You would talk about Jesus to others and tell them of that happy meeting with him in glory. All this my dear Sabbath school teacher taught me, and she will meet me there. Now, why did you not, my father and mother, tell me all these things about Jesus, if you are going to meet him too? Oh, their tears fell fast over their dying child, and he little knew in his unthinking eighth year what a message from God had pierced their souls through his innocent words. One day an aunt from the country visited his mother, and their talk had run in channels for which the child no longer felt any interest. On my sitting down beside him, he said, Sit you down and talk with me about Jesus. I am tired hearing so much about everything else but Jesus. I am going soon to be with him. Oh, do tell me everything you know or have ever heard about Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. At last, the child literally longed to be away, not for rest or even freedom from pain, for of that he had very little. But, as he himself always put it, to see Jesus. And after all, that was the wisdom of the heart, however he learned it. Eternal life, here or hereafter, is just the vision of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful story this is. Do come back. We'll do chapter 9 next time, where we hear the topic a foreign missionary. Oh, great. We're getting to the heart of the story soon. A foreign missionary. Join me, will you? This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.